0: This is the Green Street News. Patty and Doug Wood and our network of experts with your weekly update on the environment and your health. Welcome back. Nature is an amazing thing in so many respects, but perhaps none more amazing than the tremendous amount of trouble that can be caused by a tiny organism. On today's show, we'll talk with a bio detective who helps factories, laboratories, golf courses, and even nuclear power plants figure out how to deal with the tiny animals that are causing all their trouble. That story and the headlines from the Green Street Newsroom, all coming up. Stay with us. Okay, Patty Wood, what happened in the world of environmental health this week?
1: Okay, follow up on the East Palestine, Ohio, train derailment. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. This
1: is actually written by one of my favorite authors, Sharon Lerner, and published in ProPublica. And it is, the company testing air in East Palestine homes was hired by Norfolk Southern. Experts say that testing isn't enough. Okay. Brenda Foster stood on the railroad tracks at the edge of her yard in East Palestine, Ohio, and watched a smoky inferno billow from the wreckage of a derailed train. The chemicals it was carrying and the fire that consumed them were so toxic that the entire area had to evacuate. Foster packed up her 87-year-old mother and they fled to stay with relatives. With a headache, sore throat, burning eyes, and a cough, Foster returned home five days later as soon as authorities allowed. So when she saw on TV that there was a hotline for residents with health concerns, she dialed as soon as the number popped up on the screen. The people who arrived at her home offered to test the air inside for free. She was so eager to learn the results, she didn't look closely at the paper they asked her to sign. Within minutes of taking measurements with a handheld machine, one of them told her that they hadn't detected any harmful chemicals. Foster moved her mother back the same day. What she didn't realize is that the page of test results that put her mind at ease didn't come from the government or an independent watchdog. CTEH, or the Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health, The contractor that provided them was hired by Norfolk Southern, the operator of the freight train that derailed. And according to several independent experts consulted by ProPublica in collaboration with The Guardian, the air testing results did not prove their homes were safe.
0: So the company was hired by the railroad to come in and give people test results. Mm-hmm. What did the paper say that she signed? Does it oh, tell you?
1: That's coming. Mm-hmm. oh Okay. It's almost like if you want to find nothing, you just run in and you run out of the houses. Yeah, and, you know, sure. And they what? found nothing. Right. How about that? So this Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health, which is known as CTEH, was founded by four scientists who had all done consulting work for the tobacco companies or lawyers that were defending them. It quickly became a go-to contractor for corporations responsible for industrial disasters. Mm -hmm. It's bread and butter is train crashes and derailments. The company had been accused repeatedly of downplaying health risks. In since-deleted marketing on its website, CTEH once explained how the data it gathers about toxic chemicals can be used later to shield its clients from liability in cases brought by people who say they are harmed. Wow. Quote, and this is what it says on their website, A carrier of chemicals may be subjected to legal claims as a result of a real or imagined release. Should this happen, appropriate meteorological and chemical data recorded and saved may be presented as powerful evidence to assist in the litigation or potentially preclude litigation this
0: is a movie in the making i'm telling you it's this a, is a, oh, a movie oh, in the making oh.
1: Aaron brockovich is going to be all unbelievable over this. yeah it's and this so is they a, send in people this is actually what is happening so here you go it was cteh not the environmental protection agency that designed the testing protocol for the indoor air tests and it is cteh not the Environmental Protection Agency that runs the hotline, residents are directed to call with concerns about odors, fumes, or health problems. Local and federal officials, including the EPA, funnel the scared and sick to this company's no, representative. No, this
0: Patty, this can't this this almost no, it, can't be true. It
1: is absolutely true. That is what's happening today.
0: So they're gathering evidence to defend the railroad Correct. in the event of the of the Correct. lawsuit that they know, are, they know these lawsuits Correct. are coming.
1: Mm-hmm. An EPA spokesperson said that the federal blueprint for responding to such emergencies requires responsible parties, in this case Norfolk Southern, to do the work, not just pay for it, but the agency does have the authority to perform or require its own testing. Apparently, it has not done that.
0: Well, time for people to step in and say we need an independent person to do this testing. That's just unbelievable that right. they're co- they're literally collecting evidence for their own defense in a lawsuit, telling people, Correct. oh, we're gonna we can come in Correct. and test your test your air. For free. Holy okay, But well, what's okay.
1: really interesting here is that when this woman that I started this article yeah. about, okay, who moved her 87-year-old mother Well, they did you know, what you away. said. We would leave immediately. Just leave immediately, okay. But when told by a reporter that the contractor, CTEH, was hired by the rail company, this woman's face fell. Yeah, she I said, I had no clue. Looking back, the people who came to her door never said anything about Norfolk Southern. They didn't even give her a copy of the paper that she had signed
0: that's right. that that's an unbelievable story yeah. that is really just like I say a movie in the making so who it's... knows all right what else you got
1: okay so here's a you know I just can't get off the vinyl chloride thing so no, I, I kn- just I know just, you can't go just ahead bear with me one more okay <laughs> and this is uh this is oh, a okay. an article written by Adele Peters in fast company and it's called the dirty truth about your fake wood floors you got to bear with me one more PVC article is... here <sighs> Houses and apartments built or remodeled in the last decade tend to have one thing in common. The floors are covered in luxury vinyl plank, often in a sickly shade of gray. The material is cheap, and by scanning wood to make a print, manufacturers can somewhat convincingly mimic the real thing. It is now the most common type of flooring in the United States, and it is also causing more problems. Flooring is just one example of a product that uses PVC, plastic made from vinyl chloride, the toxic chemical that burned in a plume of smoke over East Palestine, Ohio, earlier this month when the train derailed. Potential accidents are only one challenge. PVC products are dangerous to make, both for workers and communities nearby, and they can potentially be dangerous to use because of their additives. When they're thrown out, that can lead to more pollution. In China, where most vinyl flooring is now made, the first step involves making chlorine using mercury, another toxic chemical. The mercury is released into the atmosphere and distributed globally. It then comes out in the rain over the U.S. and the rest of the world. The chlorine gas is used to make vinyl chloride, a chemical known to cause cancer in workers repeatedly exposed to it making it also creates dioxins, other potent carcinogens that then enter the environment and can build up in the food chain. A single nanogram of one type of dioxin or a billionth of a gram per liter of water is unsafe for children, according to the EPA. When PVC is made, other additives are used to turn it into flooring. Some Chinese factories also use lead and phthalate plasticizers, another probable carcinogen that can also cause reproductive problems. Asbestos is also used in PVC production. And living with the final product isn't necessarily risk-free. Plasticizers, which are common additives, don't bind tightly to PVC, so they can eventually end up in household dust that you breathe, or could be directly absorbed through bare feet. If PVC products burn in a fire, the chemicals in the smoke can cause permanent respiratory disease. When PVC is eventually thrown out, if the products are burned in an incinerator, that also pollutes the air. In a landfill, the chemicals leach into the environment and landfills themselves can catch fire. Still, in January of this year, the EPA denied a petition to classify PVC as a hazardous waste. Almost no PVC flooring is recycled, according to the Nonprofit Center for Environmental Health, and most flooring manufacturers don't want recycled PVC content in their products because it can add even more contaminants.
0: Patty, everybody who's remodeling their home is putting vinyl flooring in.
1: Absolutely. No question.
0: You see it in house after house after house.
1: Yep, 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 yep. So why are we still making products that are known to be unsafe when alternatives exist and humans manage to live without PVC for centuries? Mm -hmm. Flooring, of course, isn't the only product made with the material, although building products make up the majority of the market for PVC. (sighs) So, you know, I don't know if you've been to a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot, but, you know... But you know, I mean, you can basically build an entire house that looks like a colonial revival, right? Columns, shutters, windows, sidings, yeah, and the everything. entire thing is plastic. The entire house is PVC. You know, when the the towers burned on 9/11, it was primarily plastic. Yeah. That was that was the toxicity of yeah. the air yeah. down there, and that's why everybody's got cancer who was, you know, breathing that on a regular, regular basis, Mm. you know.
0: Okay. So what else you got?
1: Well, since we're talking chemicals. Um,
0: We're always talking chemicals, (laughs) it seems like. Yeah, but this
1: is really, this is something new to me. Okay. And it's a big, big issue. And I'm surprised that we haven't, you know, that we haven't come across it. But there is a colorless gas that is causing cancer in communities across the United States. And is our government slow to act because of the color of the resident's skin? The title of the article is Combating an Invisible Threat by Derek Jackson. And this is actually published in a recent report from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Mm, Okay. Here's this colorless gas. It's called ethylene oxide. It is a human-made gas used to sterilize medical equipment. It is also used to reduce bacteria on a third of all spices and herbs sold in the United States and is used in the production of antifreeze, plastics, polyester, detergents, and adhesives. But this chemical's utility comes at a high cost for workers breathing the emissions at sterilization facilities and ethylene oxide production plants, and for the residents of fence line communities, so named because they are next to or directly downwind from those facilities. Because commercial sterilization facilities that use ethylene oxide often look like innocuous warehouses from the outside, many neighboring residents are left completely unaware that they are being exposed to it. A major and yet unanswered question is how much attention these plants will get as they fume away, especially in black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. More than 14 million people live within five miles of 104 separate facilities that emit ethylene oxide, including a disproportionately high number of people of color, low-income households, and people with limited English language proficiency compared with the average for the county in which they live. Mm -hmm. These five-mile zones, many near commercial Sterilizer facilities also include more than 10,000 schools and childcare centers, and they are only a portion of the total number of facilities nationwide that emit ethylene
0: oxide. So how are you supposed to know?
1: You have to look at the map that the Union of Concerned Scientists has actually put together. I see you've got that
0: map there, but I mean, does it have addresses? Oh yeah,
1: you can find them, yep. The Clean Air Act requires the EPA to update emission standards for hazardous air pollutants every eight years, and the agency was due to update its commercial sterilizer rule in 2014. It is now nine years late in doing so. Based on the Union of Concerned Scientists' latest findings and stories from around the nation, there is no more time to
0: waste. And they're using this on spices, you said. Yeah. On the food that we eat.
1: Mm-hmm. And walnuts.
0: And walnuts. mm mm-hmm.
1: What's it, what, it what, Bacteria.
0: Walnut? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Kills bacteria, mm-hmm. so...
1: Sterilization.
0: Good Lord. It kills the bacteria, so it's going to kill the bacteria in you, too, uh-huh. if you're exposed. Feels like whack-a-mole. You know, it really does feel like you you identify a chemical, you try to get the EPA to do its job, and it takes years and years and years. In the meantime, three, four, five, eight, 10, 15 more chemicals show up Mm -hmm. that need the Mm -hmm. same kind Mm -hmm. of attention. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think we've banned five chemicals on that list of almost Hmm.
0: 90,000 over the past. Great batting average, five out of 90,000.
1: Over the past quarter century.
0: All right. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. There's a product out there. You've probably heard the ads for it. It's called Balance of Nature. It's a pill you can take that, according to the ads, provides all the benefits of eating real fruits and vegetables. Now, I'm not gonna get into a discussion about how in the world you can take all the goodness and nutrition of actual fruits and vegetables and pack them into a tiny pill, and thereby miss out on the pleasure of actually eating fresh fruits and vegetables, but the name, Balance of Nature, is the subject of our show today.
1: Nature has this way of keeping things in balance naturally. We don't have to do a lot of work. In fact, often when we do a lot of work, it ends up throwing the balance of nature out of balance. And that's when things can run amok. If you're a regular listener to Green Street News, you've heard us say that when humans think they can outsmart nature, it usually doesn't turn out
0: well. So in the natural world, there's this natural balance that keeps things in check. Every living thing has its enemies and its friends, its source of food, and things that think that it is the source of food. And that balance can be interrupted by man, either intentionally or inadvertently. Like the simple act of putting water through a pipe. Now you might wonder, what could be wrong with that? Well, turns out, plenty.
2: You can't take raw water from a lake or a stream and put it through a pipeline and not expect serious consequences. Things grow inside the pipeline. They grow bigger and faster than they would in the normal environment. I'm not sure why that is, but that's the way it is.
1: That's biologist Dr. Tim Wood, whose company, Technologies helps big companies and golf courses figure out why the water in their pipes isn't flowing anymore. Dr. Wood contacted us a few weeks ago after listening to a Green Street show where we talked about all the near disasters that have probably occurred in the world that we've never even heard about. He had a story to tell. But first, you need to know about these tiny
2: animals called
1: bryozoa.
2: bryozoan they're fascinating animals in many ways. Big enough to easily see. The ones that cause problems are like miniature ivy. They grow branches and they spread out. If you see them in a lake, they look like maybe roots growing on a, on a stone or a, a sunken log. Bryozoa means moss animal. Bryozoa, bryophyte is moss. Bryozoa is this thing. And so if you Google plumatella, P-L-U-M-A-T-E-L-L-A, and click on images, you will see a picture of me holding this stuff in my hand. And the kind of green grass is behind that. And that's what it looks like. They lay down egg-like structures about the size of a period on a newspaper. And it's cemented to the inside of the pipeline or whatever they're growing on. And these are dormant for anywhere from a few weeks to several months, and then they'll hatch out again. It's like they'll go dormant in the fall and then hatch out in the spring. So now you've got, instead of one colony there, you've got 200 colonies all, you know, they spread really quickly. These are called statoblasts, these dormant seeds. There's a sessile type that attaches, and then there's another type that is released freely into the water and spreads everywhere. If you go swimming in a lake, when you come out, you'll have little statoblasts on your skin. I mean, it's inevitable, they're everywhere. Every lake, river in the world has got bryozoans.
1: Dr. Tim Wood is the world's leading expert in bryozoa. He's president of the International Bryozoan Society. There are bryozoan species named after him. He's a star in the world of invertebrate zoology, which he taught for many years at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Then one day, one of his students suggested they go into business together, helping companies deal with their bryozoan problems. Tim was skeptical.
2: Our first client turned out to be a nuclear power plant. They were forced to close down because of dry I sent Michael over there to have a look, and he came back and said, this is the worst I've ever seen. Well, a nuclear plant uses tons of water for cooling because they're not very efficient, and they give off an enormous amount of heat. So they require a lot of water for cooling. So this one had a big lagoon, and they were bringing water in through four bays. It goes through a grate, you know, so logs can't get through and um, into a forebay, which is completely otherwise closed off. You can't see inside, you can't get inside. Yet. And that's where rhizoans were growing. Turns out they were about a meter thick on the floor and half a meter on the walls. In other words, the biomass was incredible. They have an emergency water cooling system and every year, or maybe it's every six months, they're required to run it, just to make sure everything is free. And when they turn on that thing, it sucks the rhizomes up and shuts down completely, automatically. So the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says, huh, you can't do that. So then they, they called us in. In, in this instance, they, uh, they had two or three teams of divers working around the clock for two weeks, big suction hoses, sucking these things out, into a tank truck, which would then go off somewhere and dump them.
1: You wouldn't think that a tiny organism you can just barely see could cause the shutdown of a nuclear power plant, and possibly even cause a catastrophic situation if not properly handled, but there we go. Man created an artificial environment, raised the temperature of the water, and bingo, problem.
2: You know, we're not really sure why they grow so fast and so well in pipelines. Part of it, I think, is just a steady flow of water. Otherwise, they have to create their own current to draw water particles in toward the mouth. In a steady flow of water, they just sit there and let the food come to them. You never see a handful of bryozoans in the natural environment, it never happens.
0: In Westchester County, the Kensico Dam sits between the towns of Armonk and Valhalla, about three miles north of White Plains. It's part of New York City's famous water system, and the New York City Water Department goes to a lot of trouble to ensure its quality. So a few years before Hurricane Sandy, they installed some new state-of-the-art disinfection equipment and a big screen like a chain-link fence to keep any debris from interfering with the new equipment. But then Sandy came along.
2: During Hurricane Sandy, for some reason, they suddenly got amassed tons of This gelatinous brisola broke loose from the shaft draining the reservoir. And they all came down and came up against this fence thing. And they didn't burst through, they didn't destroy the equipment, but they impeded water flow. So where did they come from? So now they had to look and see where these were growing and they sent divers in there and there was spectatella growing all over the inside of the shaft. It was really surprising because the water itself is not nutrient rich and it's cold. And no one thought Pec would had grown under those conditions. So now they have cameras, they have monitors to, to monitor the, the growth of Pec in those shafts. And they have divers going in every year to prevent that from happening in the future. They wanted us to do a survey of the reservoir to see what other what other bryozoans species are there. And they wanted to know all about bryozoans in the Kensico Reservoir. And then they wrote a big paper, a really nice paper, a scientific paper about the whole situation. And uh, we couldn't get it published. No one was interested. Nobody talks about these things. Most of our clients don't want others to know that they have the same problem. We have two major clients living almost side by side that we work with, but neither one wants the other to know. You would think they would want to collaborate, but I guess it's like having lice.
0: Like having lice. Even when people know about the potential for bryozoan problems, they don't always take the steps they need to avoid trouble. Take the U.S. Navy, for example.
2: The navy overwinters a lot of their ships in the Hampton Roads area of Norfolk, where fresh water comes down the James River, and they keep their engines running here, kind of idling all the time. They're always they're always pumping water through, and the Bryozoans are always getting into those. And it's the same situation, growing throughout the cooling system, and and this happens time and time again. They're ready to ship out, okay? So they bring all their food, they bring all their supplies, they they get everyone on board. Okay, let's fire up the engines. Oops, everything's clogged up. The electrical system goes down. So now it's going to be a delay while we clean these out. And there's no good way to clean these things except taking the entire system apart. You know, it's cooling tubes. They're not that big, you know, the heat exchangers. So you have to punch the dry zones out through each one of these.
1: So Tim Wood travels the country, helping golf courses manufacturing plants, nuclear power plants, and other clients manage their bryozoan problems. But one incident stuck out in his mind, and it was why he contacted us at Green Street News. A chemical plant in the Deep South that manufactured, among other things, ethylene oxide, had shut the factory down for routine maintenance. And when they fired the plant back up again, the trouble
2: began. This looks like a refinery, like an oil refinery. It just spread out with pipes everywhere. You know, it's a very complicated plant. And so they brought us in because this was caused by, somebody knew it was bryzones. And so they asked us to come in and investigate. So the first thing that happens is we, uh, normally when you go to a site like this, you have to go undergo some training. You don't just go on site and start working you've got to know the safety procedures. Well, there wasn't time for that. So instead of taking a a one to two day course in the safety procedures, it was like, here are the questions, here are the answers, just mark down the right answers and sign it at the bottom. Then they come on in. We'd never encountered that before. They didn't bother with that. So we saw right away that this is a super sloppy operation.
1: As we talked about at the top of the show, ethylene oxide is extremely toxic, but odorless and colorless. So we have a super sloppy operation, manufacturing deadly gas, not exactly an ideal situation.
2: They're cooling their whole operation with water from this large lagoon, very much like the nuclear power plant was doing. And, um, They reduced the water flow in order to do some maintenance and it was reduced for several months. And during that time, it was the perfect habitat in those pipelines for bryozoans to grow. And they were completely unaware of bryozoans until the maintenance was done and they brought the water back up to speed. And then everything came loose from the pipelines and crashed into a giant centrifuge, which destroyed the centrifuge and blocked water that was going to the wing that makes ethylene oxide. They could have bypassed the centrifuge but instead they just saw the pressure rising and panicked and had no idea what to do the the only solution they could think of was let's release the gas and when you release this it's an enormous amount of gas it's not just a small leak of ethylene oxide the whole thing was like a balloon of ethylene oxide that surrounded the plant normally there's a strong breeze blowing down there but in this case it was a day where it was calm and everyone just froze. No one could move because the slightest spark would have set this off, an enormous explosion and, and just leveled the whole site.
1: Fortunately, it turned out only to be a close call, not the full-on disaster that might have been. But the condition of the plant itself was enough to worry
2: about. It was cracked concrete. There was water bubbling out of the ground. You know, we're like, is that water coming out? Where, where's that coming from? Well, we don't really know and we were touring with it like the chief engineer everything we saw was just deteriorating and it was like we couldn't wait to get out of there so then of course we we did our normal our regular tour we inspected everything we looked at all the you know the the pipelines carrying water in we inspected the centrifuge we got samples of everything and then we are we wanted to meet with the. Chief Engineer again to let them know what we had found and what our recommendations were so they can avoid this in the in the future. So for our report, here here's what we want to put in our report. He says, oh, don't worry about the report. We were required to bring you in for this inspection, but just sign this acknowledgement and then you can go. You're on your way. Well, we wrote a report anyway because we just felt we should. Somebody should know.
1: Dr. Tim Wood, former professor at Wright State University in Ohio, world-renowned expert in bryozoans, president of bryotechnologies, and Doug's brother.
0: That's right, my amazing brother Tim, who always had a fish tank in his room and the skull of a cow hanging on his wall, which was both gross and cool. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street News. If you enjoyed the show today, please tell your friends to follow Green Street News wherever they get their podcasts. We're on all the platforms. And thanks to you, our audience is growing every week. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Tim Wood, our WBAI engineer, Reggie Johnson, our news editor, Ellen Weiniger, our social media manager, Allison Dunn, who's leaving this week. We're going to miss her. And our marketing manager, Patricia Bridges. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street News. Thanks for listening.